0: So let's do a quick review of where we're at in our study. We've looked at two different categories of the attributes, the characteristics of God. We saw the first few weeks the incommunicable attributes, the attributes of God He does not share with us. He is eternal. He is everywhere. Things like that. We then moved into the communicable attributes, the attributes of God that He shares with us in part. And in parts, the keyword we saw His omniscience, His knowledge, His wisdom, His truthfulness, His omnipotence, or all power. And then last week, CJ did a great job teaching us about God's peace and his order. With that said, we're continuing in the communicable attributes. We come to a new kind of subdivision of them, and these are called the moral attributes of God, because they relate to more of God's character, his actions, of how he acts in relation to his people. And so as we get into these, we'll talk about his goodness, his love, his mercy, his holiness, his righteousness, and things like his jealousy and wrath as well. Those are all considered his moral attributes. That's where we're going over these next probably seven or eight weeks here. Let me just remind us at the front about the unity of God. God is fully all these attributes all the time, and the reason we didn't start here with goodness and love is because that's what we tend to be drawn to. Now, many of us, like I offered to some of the, the, the elders, some of the guys, if they wanted to teach an attribute, they were welcome to do so. No one came and said, I really want to teach wrath. That's my favorite attribute. You know, they got, these guys claim things like peace and unity and love and, you know, grace and left me with the wrath and justice and all that to teach, you know. Because we're not drawn to those and so we have to remind ourselves that God is fully all these attributes he's not a God of our imagination just of the parts we like he is fully all these attributes all the time this is his character and so with that we get tonight to God is good now with this some theologians start here if you pick up some books on the attributes of God they won't start where we started way back to God's omniscience or his power they'll start at the very beginning with God is good And Because they see a lot of other things flowing out. And I appreciate where they're starting from on that, but again, based on our culture and our hearts, if we start with God is good, I think we miss everything else because we're starting with what we feel most drawn to on that. But we, we get to it eventually like we do here. So as we start with this, we need to ask the fundamental question, what does it mean for someone or something to be good? Now we use the word all the time, but it's hard to define. Good job. Hey, good game. That was a good effort on that. That was a good restaurant. You're a good roofer. Hey, it's good that you're here. That was a good deed you did. He has a good name. We use good a lot. What does it mean? And anyone take a stab at this? What does it mean to be good? Yeah. <laughs> how do you define good? Like, we use it all the time. But what in the world does it mean? What's that? I like it. Okay, yeah, John's getting into something here. It's something that I like. Okay, what else? How else would you define good? Not bad? According to how God made it? Oh, going to God's standard. Good, yeah. Oh, good. That's even using the word in the answer. <laughs> what else? Something positive? Yeah. It's a tough word to define, isn't it? We use it all the time, and we we somehow implicitly know what we mean. When someone says, you did a good job, there's not like, what do you mean by that? It's like, we know what they mean by that, but we have a hard time articulating what they're saying. I just looked it up in the dictionary as far as how they define it, and oh my goodness, they have seven definitions of it to try to comprehend the word. You don't need to jot this down, but just real quick, it's morally excellent, virtuous, righteous, pious, like a good man. It is satisfactory in quality. A good teacher, good health, Something of high quality or excellence. Something that's right or proper fit. It is good you're here. His credentials are good. Something that's well-behaved. He's a good child. Something that's kind, beneficent, or friendly. To do a good deed. Or something that's honorable or worthy. He has a good name. And so with that said, how do we define it? Here's my definition based on all that. And I didn't put it on your handout because I didn't want you to read ahead and then answer with that definition. I think to be good is to describe someone or something... It's having a type of excellence. To describe someone or something as having a type of excellence. But it's also this having an excellence about which we have a favorable response. So someone or something has a type of excellence, and we have a favorable response to it. I think John kind of got that earlier. Something that we like. Good is in a sense is very, from a human standpoint, is very subjective. Some people call some things good. Some people call other things good. And so it is excellence, but, you know... You can kill people excellently, right? So it's not just excellence in general. You can do it well and do a good job and fire a good shot. But no, it's got to be excellence that we then have a, kind of some type of moral standard with that causes a favorable response on that. When you think of a good person, we're usually thinking of someone who acts to benefit others. I do something excellently and we feel good about it so that we say that it is good. Now, if we have a hard time defining the word good, you can imagine how hard it is to define God's goodness, right? If we're struggling to even understand the word in the English language, how much harder to articulate the fact that God himself is good. So I've given us a bunch of definitions here and want us to take a quick look at them. The first three I've grouped together, because all three of these theologians here kind of define it the same way, and you'll hear it almost sounds identical, well, because they all come from the same theological persuasion, but Herman Bavinck says, God is the sum total of all perfections. That's how he defines goodness. Goodness is God as a sum total of all perfections. He equates goodness with perfections. As of A.W. Pink, who I quote a good bit, he says the goodness of God refers to the perfection of his nature. Likewise, John Frame, who I really like, says to ascribe to God the highest perfection in all his attributes. That's what he means that good is. It's to ascribe to God the highest perfection in all his attributes. I love the simplicity of this, but they just equate goodness with God's Perfection. Others add a little bit more to it. James Boyce says in one aspect of this word, it is merely equivalent to holiness. On the other hand, the goodness of God may be spoken of as a kindness, benevolence, or beneficence towards others. So we'll talk about holiness next week as a totally separate attribute, but he's kind of going the same route at first. It's God's perfection, His holiness, it sets him apart, but yet it's somehow this, this thing that God does for people that we describe as kind or good for others. Wayne Grudem, who i quote a good bit in like, he says, "...God is the final standard of good, and all that God is and does is worthy of approval." And that's just a great reminder to us, friends, that we don't look at, here's our standard of good, and God has to measure up to it. God is good, and therefore, He is our ultimate standard of good as well. J.I. Packer, "...goodness and God is in human beings means something admirable, attractive, and praiseworthy. When the biblical writers call God good, they are thinking in general of all those moral qualities which prompt his people to call him perfect, and in particular, the generosity which moves them to call him merciful and gracious and to speak of his love. So some will equate his goodness and his love together on that. Um, A.W. Tozer, God is kind-hearted, gracious, good-natured, and benevolent in intention. God is not only infinitely good, he is perfectly good. So again, you're hearing some of these descriptions coming out. I think my favorite of all of them this time is actually not Grudem. He's usually my favorite definition. i got another favorite one tonight, and it's this guy, Thomas Manton. And Thomas Manton gives us a really kind of more complicated definition, but it's so good how he describes the goodness of God. Though the others are good, this one is even more good. Hey, listen to this. We'll kind of take it a little sentence at a time. He, God, is originally good, good of himself, which nothing else is, for all creatures are good only by participation and communication from God. So let's just pause there. God is good in his essence. He originally has always been good. If we have any goodness, it's because God has imparted it to us. Goodness hasn't been imparted to God. God is goodness. Going to the next sentence here. He, God, is essentially good. Not only good, but goodness itself. The creature's good is a super-added quality. and God, it is his essence. So goodness is something that's kind of been added to us. For God, goodness is God himself. Next sentence, He is infinitely good. The creature's good is but a drop, but God, in God there is an infinite ocean or gathering together of good. And if we think of when we see each other, like, He's a good person, or that was a good thing, that's a drop. We're talking about God. Goodness is the ocean, because God is so vast, whereas goodness in us would be just a tiny, tiny drop. His infinity, His vastness on that. goes on in the last sentence, He is eternally and immutably. Remember, immutable means unchangeable. He is eternally and immutably good. For he cannot be less good than he is, as there can be no addition made to him, so no subtraction from him. God's not like more good now than he used to be. God is always good, fully good, all of the time. Now, it's not on your handout, but just so you know, sometimes this is called his perfection. The other words you'll see is sometimes it's called his loving kindness. And so if you want another synonym for God's goodness, his loving kindness is a word you may see used in Scripture, as well as in some of the writings about him. So I want you to see this in Scripture. God's goodness is seen all throughout Scripture, particularly in the Psalms. I could have given you lots and lots of Psalms, but here is just four that I want you to see. First is Psalm 34, 8. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Now think back to what we saw in John 8 a few weeks ago on Sunday mornings. To taste and see means to experience. Remember, Jesus had told them, you know, if you believe me, you will not taste death. Taste and see means to experience. So this is a promise to us that we can taste and see, we can experience that the Lord is good. And don't miss the wonder of that, friends. When we talk about the goodness of God, this is not just some abstract theological concept. This is very real and very personal. We can experientially experience, if I can put those two words together, we can experience that God is good. Taste and see, experience that He is good. Psalm 105, for the Lord is good, his steadfast love endures forever, and his faithfulness to all generations. Psalm 106, 1, praise the Lord, or give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. And we come to Psalm 107, the whole psalm of Psalm 107 that we're not going to read tonight is about the goodness of God. You'll see not only the word goodness here, you'll see the word steadfast love they'll be used throughout Psalm 107. Psalm 107 is where the community members call one another to remember what God has done and to say that He's good and to praise Him. And so it's kind of a call to the whole community to remember God's goodness. Psalm 107, 1 and 2. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for He is good, for His steadfast love endures forever. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. How about Isaiah chapter 63, verse 7? I will recount the steadfast love of the Lord, the praises of the Lord, according to all that the Lord has granted us, and the great goodness to the house of Israel that he has granted them according to his compassion, according to the abundance of his steadfast love. is struggling to, to describe in human terms the goodness of God here. So he doesn't just call him good. He says great goodness. Like if goodness is not enough, let's add great goodness to it. And not just great goodness, that's not enough. So there's, for there's steadfast love with great goodness. That's not enough. So steadfast love with great goodness, with compassion. And that's even not enough. It's steadfast love with great goodness, with compassion, with the abundance of his steadfast love. Get what Isaiah is saying? God is really super duper good. If you want to use a kind of American slang for that one. It's the goodness of God on that. Nahum chapter 1 verse 7. The Lord is good, a stronghold in the day of trouble. He knows those who take refuge in him. Mark chapter 10, verse 18, this is the conversation with a rich man who goes away sad when Jesus calls him to to give away his possessions. And Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. Now we'll get to this in a few minutes. This is a communicable attribute we share, but no one is fully good like God is. This is described in God in a unique way. So what does all this mean? What are some of the aspects of God's goodness? Number one, I've alluded to this earlier. This means that God is the final standard of goodness. And it's whatever. So our final standard is not what we think that we then apply to God. It's not like we decide what goodness is, is humanity, and then we measure God against it. You can't put all the nations together. You can't get NATO and the UN and all these groups together and say, here's goodness. Now God has to conform. No, God is a standard of goodness. What God is in his being and what God approves of is our measuring stick. He is the perfect standard. And friends, in our lives personally, in our life as a nation, if our measuring stick of goodness was God's character, how different would our lives be in the world would be, right? It's not that we're conforming, we're not trying to get God to conform to us, we are supposed to conform to Him. Number two, everything that God does, and that's important, everything, not some things, everything that God does is good, and everything that God does is worthy of approval. There's nothing that God does that is not good. Everything God does is good. Psalm 119, 68, you are good and you do good teach me your statues. Now, there's lots of things we think about God's goodness. I want to give us just three to think about. Number one, we see that everything God does is good and worthy of approval. We see that particularly in creations. Genesis chapter 1 verse 31, and God saw everything that he made, and behold, it was very good. Friends, we see the goodness of God all around us in creation. Why are there, I'll give you a picture of the Grand Tetons, Why is there a picture of the Grand Tetons? Why why is there color there? God could have made the world gray. He could have given us eyesight that saw no colors, none of the rods and cones in our eye that could see colors. He could have made it to where we could see nothing but black and white and grays all the time. But yet God in His kindness let us see rich colors, the blues of the water, the greens of the grass, the colors of the mountains there. Why did God do it? Because He's good and He loves us. Why did God paint the clouds in the sky with blue skies and white clouds and let us see stars and planets? And all? He didn't have to make all that. Why? But he did it because he's good. This is a good creation. Everything he saw was very, very good. Now, there's a picture of chocolate there for a reason also. Why? Why did God give us taste buds? Because he's good. God could have made food bland and given us no taste buds. We just need food to survive. We, eating could be like cardboard. It could be as boring as sneezing. But God gave us taste buds on our mouth so we taste salty and sweet and spicy. And, and then he made this plethora of foods and he created chocolate in his kindness to us. Why? Because God is good. We see evidences of God's goodness all around and things we take for granted like colors, smells, taste. All this is because God in his goodness gave us this beauty of this world to show us he's beautiful and we might experience We might taste and see literally his goodness In so many ways, all around us. Why did God give the eclipse this week? Because He's good. He's showing us that there's this big, massive rock that is circling our planet, as our planet's massively circling the sun. And why He do it? He didn't have to do it that way. The the Earth could sit still, and the Sun could sit still, and nothing can move, and it would still be good. But He put all this in motion, gave us seasons, and gave us the eclipse to show us how good He is. And so we see God's goodness in creation. We also see God's goodness and redemption friends and this one is just so such a rich thing for us to realize god doesn't have to redeem us god would still be good if he condemned us all to hell because we violated his standards but his goodness and loving kindness he chose to redeem us i love titus three but when the goodness and loving kindness of god our savior appeared he saved us he saved us because of his goodness and loving kindness not because of works done by us in righteousness but according to his own mercy by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the holy spirit and we poured out on us richly through jesus christ our savior so that being justified by his grace we will become heirs according to the hope of eternal life now before you turn the page just think about that for a minute he's not just saved us and not just not condemned us he's made us heirs he's adopted us into his family friends we deserve condemnation but in his goodness he not only has rescued us from that he has adopted us into his family he's given us all the spiritual blessings in the heavenly he's given us eternal life forever and now. He's given us his presence. This is incredible, his goodness. And to realize his goodness and the fact that this salvation is not just for us, it's for people of all races, all ethnicities, all backgrounds. The gospel is not just for one group, it's for the whole world. Now, Sunday afternoon, I was up here at the church doing some studying and I'm studying on this Sunday afternoon because Julie and the kids had gone to see the eclipse in Nashville to see the totality of it. So I'm up here studying and as I'm reading about God's goodness and redemption, I'm listening to the Hispanic church, New Life in Christ that meets here, singing praises to the Lord in a language I didn't even understand. But the joy that was raiding out of this room right through my office wall right there, before the Lord, I was like, the goodness of God and redemption. There's people from all different languages and races and backgrounds who are praising the Lord together. I was like, this is so good and so much evidence of God's goodness to listen to praises going up in other languages. Why did God do it that way? Because God is good. So I turn the page there to page number... How, where else do we see God's goodness? We see God's goodness in his plan for our lives. There's so much we could say on this, but Romans chapter 12, verse 2 comes to mind. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Friends, God's will for your life and mine, God's plan to sanctify us and make us more like Christ, is not burdensome and not bad. It is good because God himself is good. And we can see evidences of God's goodness in our lives, and there's much more we could say about that. Number three on the list, as we think about aspects of God's goodness, realize as well that God is the source of all good things. Friends, we have nothing good apart from what God has given us. Now, let that sink in. We have nothing good apart from what God has given us. Anything we experience as good is because of God's kindness to us. Acts chapter 14, verse 17. This is Paul speaking to Gentiles, and Paul says, Yet he did not leave himself without witness, for he did good by giving you rains from heaven and fruitful seasons, satisfying your hearts with food and gladness. Even for those who do not believe, God is being good when he gives them rains from heaven and fruitful seasons and satisfying their hearts with food <coughs> and gladness. Everything anyone experiences in the world, whether they believe in God or not, is because of God's goodness. Likewise, James chapter 1, verse 17 says, Every, that's just some, Every good and perfect, sorry, every good gift and every perfect gift is from above. Coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow, do you two change? And don't miss the word every. Every good gift, every perfect gift comes from above. Why? Because God is good and God does good things. His good deeds flow out of his good characters. There's a great quote from J.I. Packer. He says, God controls all that happens in his world. Every meal, every pleasure, every possession, every bit of sun, every night's sleep, every moment of health and safety, everything else that sustains and enriches life is a divine gift and how abundant these gifts are. That's a quote from the book Knowing God, J.I. Packer. If you haven't read it, it's out in the hallway. It's a good one out there. Number four, God is good to his own people in a special way on this. Now, first of all, we recognize there is a common grace and a common goodness from God that all mankind experiences. I've just read it in Acts chapter 14 verse 17. We see in other places in the Bible that he gives, the rain falls on the just and the unjust a light, that God is good to all of his creation. But there's a special goodness that he shows to his own people. This is what we call his loving kindness. So there's a particular goodness, a loving kindness that God shows to his people. And I want you to see this by the way, loving kindness is just a word that means his special favor to his people. You know, you can be good to all people, but there's a special kindness you show to your children. Like you may love all kids and give them a piece of candy or be nice to them but you don't take everyone else's kids to Disney World. Don't take everyone else's kids, give them big Christmas gifts, right? Because there's a special favor you show to your own children. Likewise, God is good to all, but there's a special kindness, a special goodness, a special favor he shows to his own people. We see it in lots of places in Scripture. Nehemiah chapter 1, verse 5. And I said, O Lord, God of heaven, the great and awesome God, who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his Commandments He keeps covenant love, a steadfast love for His people. Psalm 73 verse one, it's one of my favorite psalms. Truly God is good to Israel to those who are pure and hard. We'll talk more about Psalm 73 in a minute. Psalm 84:11, "For the Lord, God is a sun and a shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does He withhold from those who walk uprightly. And let's just remind ourselves that the only reason we're able to walk uprightly is because of His grace. This is not us doing stuff to earn his favor. This is, we've received his favor, therefore we're able by his grace to walk uprightly, to be pure in heart, to keep his commandments. Lamentations chapter 3, verse 25, the Lord is good to those who wait for him, to the soul who seeks him. And I love this one, we've already looked at it, but Titus 3, 4, the epitome of God's goodness to us. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. And finally, Philippians 1.6. and I am sure of this, notice the confidence, that he who began a, what type of work in you? A good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. Man, what hope is in that one verse, right? He who began, this all-powerful, all-wise God who began this good work in your heart as his child, he will surely see it to completion in the day of Christ Jesus. Now turn the page, the part of God's goodness we don't necessarily like, but is good for us, even God's discipline is good. For they disciplined us for a short time, as it seemed best to them. But he, God, disciplines us for our... What's the word there again? God disciplines us for our good, that we may share his holiness. For at the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. But later, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. God's discipline, as painful as it is, is good so that we can share in his holiness and we might have the peaceful fruit of righteousness in our lives. And so we see God's evidence of his goodness everywhere. I don't remember if you know the, I guess an old hymn that kind of became a children's song. My mom used to sing it to me when I was a little kid. Count your blessings, name them one by one. Count your blessings, see all that God has done. Count your blessings, name them one by one. Count your many blessings, see what God has done. Do you remember that song? Any of you? That's true. That's a good counsel for us. Count God's blessings in creation and chocolate. And seeing the eclipse, count God's blessing in redemption, count God's blessing in his will for your life, count God's goodness and blessings in discipline as well because God is good and his blessings in your life are good and they're more than we can number. But like I have on a lot of weeks, page five, but wait, there are things that happen to me that don't seem good. We've all been there. There's more than I can tackle in this tonight, but just want to mention a few things. Again, if you want to go deeper with this, I'd highly recommend a book in the hall walking with God through pain and suffering. We've got a whole new shipment of those in, so we've got plenty of those. Great book to help you wrestle in about 300 pages, more than I can do in the next three minutes here. But remember, in this, God alone has all wisdom and knowledge. God has the big picture, and therefore we can trust Him. We see this all throughout Scripture. We typically go to Romans 8, 28, and we know that for those who love God, how many things? All things work together for what? Good. All things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. Now, it doesn't say that all things are pleasant or all things are fun to go through, but all things in the sovereign plan of God work together for good. Because God is on his throne and he has a purpose in all these things for us. When I read this, I think about the Chris, I think it was a Chris Thomas song a few years ago. You're a good, good father. It's who you are. It's who you are. And that's so true in this. James chapter 1, verse 2 through 4, and you've heard me kind of joke about this before, then when I visit people's homes, I'll just see what scriptures they hang up and frame above their sofa and above their kitchen table. This is one of the promises I've never seen framed in someone's home, but it's, it's a promise. Count it all joy, my brothers, there's no word if here, when you meet trials of various kinds. You know how when they do that? They do pretty scripts with a pretty picture of the mountains, and they highlight certain words bigger than others. I've never seen this one. Count it all joy when in big letters you face trials in big letters of many in big letters kinds. Like We don't claim that, but this is, this is the reality of the Christian experience. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. Why? For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Friends, God's discipline for us is good, and even the trials come to us in the goodness of God. The trials aren't God being mean or vindictive to us. They are part of God's goodness that we might grow in godliness and holiness, that he might use it for his purposes. Again, J.I. Packer, I want to quote him on this. This is a great quote, he says. He says, "...if you are a true believer and he, God, still puts thorns in your bed, it is only to keep you from falling into the somnolence of complacency and to ensure that you continue in his goodness." by letting your sense of need bring you back constantly in self-abasement and faith to seek His face. And this, this next sentence is absolutely amazing. This kindly discipline, discipline in which God's severity touches us for a moment in the context of His goodness. Catch that. God's severity touches us for a moment in the context of His goodness is meant to keep us from having to bear the full brunt of that severity apart from that context. It's a discipline of love, and it must be received accordingly. Accordingly catch that? God's, again, all the attributes all together. God touches us with his severity in the context of his goodness, so that we don't get touched by his severity without his goodness. His, he touches us because his goodness, he disciplines us, he gives us trials in his sovereign plane that we might become growing in godliness, that we might become more conformed to his image. It is his goodness even in the trials. We see it all throughout scripture. Again, there's so much more than we can say that we have time to do tonight on wrestling this, but Scripture is full of examples of God using difficulties to bring about good for his people. Genesis chapter 50, verse 20. This is after Joseph has been sold into slavery, and everything happens with his brothers being there, but how God uses that to not only for Joseph's good, but for the good of the whole family and the good of the whole nation. This is a great verse. As for you, he's speaking to his brothers, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. bring bringing about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. Now friends, you look at this, Joseph being sold into slavery was far from a pleasant experience. That was an awful trial, that was awful suffering, yet in that the goodness of God was at work for Joseph's good, for his brother's good, for the entire nation of Israel's good, for all of redemptive history's good. And God brought great good out of that. There's this faulty idea that floats around a lot of American evangelicalism, and that is somehow that God owes all but the very worst criminals an easy life. And somehow when we get this, when people start facing suffering who love the Lord, well, why would God do it? They're a good person. Only the really, really awful criminals should suffer, and we've lost this theology of, of suffering and God using trials for good, and yet he did it clearly with Joseph. The psalmist said the same thing, Psalms one nineteen seventy 71. It is good for me that I was afflicted. I might learn your statutes. That's not the way most of us think. I know that's not the way I think most of the time. It was good for me that I was afflicted, that I faced trials. Or even Paul's example in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. So to keep me from being coming conceited, so for his good... Because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given to me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. Again, his good. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should lead me. But he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weakness, so the power of Christ may rest upon me. Even in the midst of Paul's sufferings of a thorn, whatever the thorn is, there's lots of debate about that. God's goodness was at work, even in the thorn Itself. And there's more than we can say on that. I encourage you to read that book, Walking with God Through Pain and Suffering, if you want to think a lot more about that. Well, turn to the page page six. This is a communicable attribute, God's goodness. This means God has given to us, in part, again, that's a key word, in part, the ability to do good, and good is what he approves. God, therefore, we should strive to do good. You'll talk more about this in your groups here in a few minutes, but Galatians chapter six. So then as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are the household of faith so is this a communicable attribute we share in this attribute when we strive to do good to everyone around us but particularly to fellow brothers and sisters in christ it's a very high calling to strive to do good to one another but not just to one another in the body of christ here luke chapter six verse 27 but i say to you love your enemies do what good to those who hate you that's about as countercultural as it gets God in His goodness is good to all, and He calls us people, do good, focus your good, doing good to those in the household of faith, but don't forget, do good to even your enemies and to those who hate you. But let me remind us, as we strive to do good, friends, we cannot do this in our own strength. It's not just a moralistic, I'm going to try harder to be good. We can only do good when God gives us the strength to do that, when He changes us. Therefore, we need the Word of God, we need the Holy Spirit. We don't just choose to get up today and go, I'm going to claim it today, and I'm going to work hard, and I'm going to be good at it. That's what you know. If we're able to do good, it's because God gives us the ability. Look at 2 Timothy 3.17. All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every what? Good work. If we want to be equipped to do good works, we go to the Scriptures, because God speaks through His Scriptures to equip us that we might do good works. So or Galatians chapter 5, this is the fruit of the Spirit passage, you probably know well. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. What's next? Goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Friends, if we have goodness in our life as followers of Christ, it's not because we strived hard for it. It's because it's it's part of the fruit. It's part of the evidence of the Holy Spirit taking control of our life and putting out immorality and putting out selfishness, putting out conceit and filling us with His nature that we might display forth the fruit of righteousness. And that includes goodness to others. We'll talk more about that in your groups tonight. But as we close our teaching time here, I want to challenge us with two things. Number one, we should seek God because he is the ultimate good. We should seek God. friends. We should strive after God because he alone is good. We we looked earlier at Psalm 73 verse 1. Truly God is good to Israel, to those who are impure in heart. So God is good to his people. This is how Psalm 73 closes now. Whom have I in heaven but you? And there is nothing on earth that I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. We don't use the word portion a whole lot anymore except for talking about diets, right? Well, this portion means something very different. This means complete contentment. Here the word portion in Scripture means a complete satisfaction contentment. That God, we should seek Him. He's so good. And when we do that, we'll find Him to be our portion, our contentment. And therefore, number two here, we should continually thank God for His goodness to us. And that key word is continually on this. Psalm 107.8, let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of man. So what type of love does he show here? Steadfast. Does that mean there's ever a time that we don't experience his goodness? No, we are experiencing his steadfast, unchanging, every moment of every day, every breath goodness in our life. Therefore, every moment of every day is an opportunity to thank God for his goodness, because if we're breathing right now, that's God's goodness to us. If we're seeing right now, that's God's goodness to us. And we have access to the Word of God, that's God's goodness to us. And we're going to think more about those things in our group. But realize we continually thank God because His love for us, His goodness, is steadfast, continuous. Likewise, 1 Thessalonians 5, 18. Give thanks in how many circumstances? All, because in all circumstances, God is good. You remember the old song, God is good all the time? All the time, God is good. Yep, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you, but yet, so often we fail to do that. And here's a challenging thing from A.W. Pink. It says, Gratitude is the return justly required from the object of his beneficence, yet is often withheld from our great benefactor simply because his goodness is so constant and so abundant. Did you catch that? God, is, God deserves our gratitude for all he's done, but we often withhold it from him because his goodness is so constant and so abundant. we don't even feel the air most of the time because we're in it all the time. And every moment of every day, we're experiencing God's goodness. And how easy it is to lose sight of it because it is what we experience all the time. Pink goes on. It is lightly esteemed because it is exercised towards us in the common course of events. It is not felt because we daily experience it. And, oh, Lord, have mercy on me and all of us when we lose sight of God's goodness because we have so much of it that we forget about it. Rosemary Jensen, who I quote, she has great prayers about the attributes of God from Bible Study Fellowship. She said, Dear Lord, because you are good, you give good gifts. You have satisfied me with so many good things, and I often fail to acknowledge them or give thanks to you. Forgive my ingratitude and presumption upon your grace to me. And let it be a challenge to us this week to see the goodness of God in everything we do and to give him thanks for it because he is worthy of all thanks and praise that we can offer and so much more for his steadfast goodness. Now, turn the page, because we're about to divide up into our groups for our last 30 minutes together tonight. I want you to think about some things. So, number one, name as many good gifts of God as you can think of. Okay, just in five minutes, okay? Because we give go all night of the goodness of God and not run out of things to think about. So, encourage one another. What I, your group leaders can do it however you want to. My recommendation would be, when you get in your groups just say, okay, we're going to take a three or four minutes here, and just name every good gift you can think about. Just name one. Let someone else go. You don't have to, like, try to rattle them all off but name one i'm thankful for air god's goodness in this and just see as y'all bounce back and forth how much in five minutes y'all can think of the goodness of god it's gonna be fun to hear this room full of noises of describing of the goodness of god number two then as we as, as we come off of that and we think about all these amazing aspects of god's goodness to us why are we so quick to forget about god's goodness when life gets tough or maybe not just when life gets tough even when life is easy maybe we should say why are we so quick to forget god's goodness number three do we have an attitude of thankfulness for god's goodness to us and then what can we do to better daily remember these gifts are from God? We experience it so much, we were just saying we forget about it. What can we do to better foster thankfulness and remembering God's goodness throughout the day? Number four, consider Galatians 6.10 again. That's about doing good to all people, especially the household of faith. What are ways we can do good to other believers at Gateway? So let's get practical. I, I intentionally did not get into the practicality of what it looks like to do good to one another. But what does it look like to do good to one another? I see several of our deacons in the room, so you some of you groups who have the deacons there will have an extra advantage on this one, right? And so, what does it look like to practically do good to other believers here? Number five, then, how can we encourage and help each other to do good to people outside the church, even those who dislike us? If we're called to do good to all people, even our enemies, that's hard, friends. We don't do that in our own strength, and that's difficult. How can we help each other do good to even those who dislike us? Number six, what songs do you know that describe God's goodness? I've already given away God is good all the time, and you're a good, good father. So you can't do those two. I've already, I've already spoiled two of them. But what are other songs you know that describe God's goodness? And again, whoever's got Ashley in her group has got an advantage on this one, right? And number seven, what is one practical thing you can strive to do this week to live out this communicable attribute of goodness? So let's take this from just, here's ways we can better do this. But what is one thing that each of us are going to strive to do this week to better live out the attribute of God's goodness? And so one thing we're going to do different after we divide up into groups, at the end of tonight, instead of stopping right at 7.30, I'm going to try to stop about 7.25. So watch the time, group leaders. And I want to leave a few minutes in. If someone in your group has had an incredible nugget of truth you want the whole group to hear, I want you to have a chance to share that. Because when I've been in different groups, it's like, man, I wish everyone in the room could hear what this person just said. So we're going to give a chance for that. If your group has one of those amazing nuggets you want the whole group to hear, we'll give you a few minutes in to do that. So let's divide up into groups. Uh, Dave, let's get a group in the back right here. Greg will be right up here, CJ is going to be right over here, I see Steve in the back back there, and let's see if we have enough, we may need one more group.